the early 1990s, there was a group of college basketball players at the University of Michigan, and they were known as the Fab Five. Some of you may have heard of the Fab Five. Uh, they quickly became a, a national sensation because of their baggy shorts and their trash talk and the style of play that they went with on the court. It just excited everybody who watched them. And they were so talented, this group of basketball players, that they made it to the NCAA National Championship game in both their freshman and sophomore years. But, you know, for all their accomplishments, all the hype, all the groundbreaking basketball that they played, they are most known for the final game they played together. You see, although they made it to the national championship two years in a row, they never won the national championship. And their second trip there remained shrouded in infamy for Michigan fans. This is why. During that second national championship, as the game was drawing to the end, the Fab Five had carried their team to within two points of the opposing University of North Carolina. It was less than 20 seconds on the clock. Michigan had the ball, and it was in the hands of Chris, their leading scorer and a member of the Fab Five. And Chris took the ball down the court. He got towards their basket, and he called the timeout. There's just one problem. Michigan didn't have any timeouts left. That meant that it was a technical foul. The other team got to shoot two free throws, and they got the ball again afterward. So as you can imagine, after all of that, it wasn't too long afterwards, and the game was over and Michigan had lost its second national championship in a row. And since that time, from what I understand, a lot of Michigan fans have not forgotten that. And even decades later, they still complain about that timeout that was called, that it cost them the game. So I was thinking about the Fab Five this week and the timeout as it's known. I was thinking about the fact that even though people complain about the timeout, you know, nobody ever complains about the fact that it only takes one player making a mistake for the whole team to be penalized. Nobody complains about that. Why is that? That's because we understand that's the nature of team sports. One player, one player's actions can affect the team for the good or for the bad, right? That's team sports. That's how it goes. You know, the same thing is true in our lives. Our actions can greatly affect those around us for the good or the bad. But even though we know that, it's pretty basic truth. Even though we know that, we often try and convince ourselves that the bad things we do, that the sins we commit, that they really won't affect others. We, we try and convince ourselves that if no one knows, if no one gets hurt, it doesn't really matter if I do this thing. So we, we lie or steal, and we hope that nobody finds out. Or we fill our minds with lust or hate, and we say it's not going to affect anyone. We covet, we take God's name in vain, we're dishonest in business, and we figure yeah, it's just no big deal as long as no, no one is the, the wiser. But the problem is we don't always realize how our sins hurt others in this life. And maybe if we did realize that, we would stop using this excuse that if no one knows, it doesn't matter. And maybe then we would fight harder as Christians to live lives of righteousness out of a love for God and out of a love for God's people. So I hope we'll realize some of these things because this morning we're going to turn together to Joshua chapter 7 and we're going to see the story of a man who realized far too late just how much his sin hurt others. 
So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there, Joshua chapter 7, so that you can follow along with us. And as you turn there, I'm going to give you a brief recap on what happened the last time we were in the book of Joshua together. Last time, when we were in Joshua chapter 6, we saw the miraculous victory that God gave Israel when they came and battled against the city of Jericho. And we saw the rescue and of, of Rahab and her family. Rahab was a woman who was once far from God, brought into his loving arms because of her faith. Now, before they took the city, Joshua made it very clear to the people, everything, everything in the city was supposed to be devoted to the Lord. Now, Rahab and her family, they were going to be saved. Everything else was going to be destroyed. And any gold and silver and bronze and iron, all those things were going to be put into the Lord's treasury. All right? So as a reminder, this is what Joshua said. Chapter 6, verse 18, Joshua said to Israel, But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise... You will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All right, look, as their first victory in the land, the city of Jericho, God's people needed to understand the importance of giving to God first of what he gave to them. So Joshua said, look, don't plunder the stuff there. It all belongs to God. All right, so last time we were together, we saw chapter 6. It ended on this high note of victory for Israel. This is how chapter 7 begins. It says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and he told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. I'll send two or 3,000 men to take it. Don't weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up. But they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They, they chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why would you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they'll surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Let's just try and get into the head of Joshua for just a second here, although I think a lot of this is pretty obvious. But let's understand that the Israelites, they just went from victory over the strong city of Jericho to defeat at the hands of the small town of Ai. The Israelite camp was full of cheering and praise the day before. Now it's filled with discouragement 
Oh, there were 36 dead soldiers. They felt the bitter sting of defeat. And look, it's true. It's true that Joshua, on his part, he should have gone to the Lord in prayer before the battle. It's true that in his overconfidence, Joshua relied on spies and the advice of men rather than direction from God. But the point remains that it was one man's sin that affected them all. Now, Joshua didn't realize that yet, but he did realize that God wasn't with him in the battle. That's why the thing that Joshua did right was to go to God now. Joshua, Joshua didn't do what a lot of military leaders would have done. He didn't go back to the drawing board and say, okay, well, we just need a different tactic. He, he didn't say, well, I just need a larger force, and I'm going to send out more soldiers. That's not what he did. Because he now had the wisdom to realize God wasn't with him, and that's what mattered most. So he fell on the ground in humility and cried out to God. So I wanted us to pause here for just a moment because, believer, whether you are about to head into some temptation, you know it's coming, or some trial you see on the horizon, maybe you're going through some difficulty right now, or maybe you are in a time where you have felt the bitter sting of defeat from sin, or you're feeling some discouragement. Understand that whatever those situations you are in, the right decision is to fall down before the Lord in humility and cry out to him for guidance and for wisdom. That's what Joshua did, and that is what I wish Achan would have done. But as we're going to see, that's not what Achan's decision would be. But I wish he would have, because when God's people humble themselves, God responds. God responded to Joshua. Look at verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now let's pause right here. Now, now Joshua sees that sin, sin is the problem. And Christians, let's understand first this about sin. Our sins can hurt God's people. We need to understand that. Achan's sin hurt the people of Israel. Soldiers died. Families were grieving. The whole nation was filled with fear. Achan's actions might have been about himself, but they affected far more than just himself. And we may not like that. We may feel that that's unfair, that one person's evil can affect so many others, but that's the nature of sin. Not only does sin itself spread, but the consequences for it do too. And something we need to keep in mind, we must keep this in mind as we go throughout chapter 7 together, is that God had warned them about all of this. Joshua said before the battle, if they took any of the devoted things, they were going to bring destruction on themselves and make the whole camp liable. So before we go pointing the finger at God at any point this morning and saying, you know, maybe God's not being just, we need to always remember that God, God makes the consequences for sin clear. The problem is we tend to ignore his warnings. For example, as some of you know, my oldest son, who I love dearly, is in that stage of pushing boundaries. So sometimes, 
He will look at me and tell me that he is going to do something that he knows he shouldn't do. So he'll say, Dad? I'll say, yeah, bud. So I'm going to poke Simon in the eye. I'll say, no, we don't do that. And I'll tell him, Judah, if you do that, this is going to be the consequence. You're going to have a timeout or whatever the consequence is. And I'll warn him and I'll tell him, we'll tell him not to do it. And sometimes he'll do it anyways. And then the consequence comes and he, he loses it. It's like he had no idea that there was going to be discipline. That it was a surprise. And I'll look at him and I'll tell him, I, we told you not to do this. We told you three times what was going to happen. But isn't that what God does with us? He tells us the things that we shouldn't do. He makes very clear what the consequences are, and sometimes we just we ignore him. He clearly warned Israel before the battle at Jericho. And because of what Achan did, the whole camp was affected. And one of the reasons this is going to be a tough passage, though, for a lot of us is because we live in a very individualistic society where it's a lot less we and it's all about me. And so we think to ourselves, well, my successes and my failures should be mine alone. It really shouldn't matter other people. But many times life doesn't work that way. And believers, the family of God does not work that way. Christians remember that scripture says we are the body of Christ. And like with a physical body, when one part of it suffers, usually the whole body is affected, right? Even so, when one, when one believer, when one member brings their sin into the body of believers, well, the whole body is going to be affected. So go home this week, read Revelation chapters 2 through 3, and see how in some of those churches, there were believers who were commended for doing some good things. They were doing good things, but some of those churches at the same time, they were tolerating sin from some people in their midst. They were tolerating sin, and the Lord said they needed to repent and get that sin out of the assembly. Why would God tell them that? It's because sin spreads. It's a cancer that affects the whole body, and then come the consequences, one of which is that the presence of our holy God will not dwell where sin is welcomed with open arms. In other words, God is not going to move in the midst of churches who support sin. And he was not going to move in the midst of Israel if this sin was tolerated. So Joshua and the Israelites needed to address sin if God was going to remain in their midst and lead them in the battle. And maybe some of us here this morning have some unaddressed sins in our lives that we need to bring before the Lord. Let's keep going. We'll see what to do about those sins. Verse 13, God is speaking. He said this. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward shall come forward man by man. Whoever's caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Or the people needed to consecrate or sanctify themselves. That is, they needed to examine themselves for anything that was keeping them from God. And then they needed to set those things aside, things like sin. 
And believers, there are times in our lives when we need to examine ourselves for any unconfessed sins. That's what Israel needed to do. And this was going to be important for the whole community, just as it was important for the individual responsible. See, Achan needed to examine himself. Achan knew, he knew that he was the reason, that he was the one. This, this time of consecration, this was his opportunity to come forward, to repent, to fall on his knees and accept responsibility. He's the one who should have fallen before the Lord with dust on his head. Instead, Achan, Achan did what we are often tempted to do when we've sinned, and that's to keep it a secret. To bury it away so that no one knows and hide it as best we can. Of course, it's one thing to trick people, but do we really think we can ever hide our sin from God? How'd that work for Adam and Eve? How'd that work for Ananias and Sapphira? We're going to find it would not work for Achan. Yet many times, we hold out as long as we can. We convince ourselves, I'm going to take this sin to my grave. All the while, God knows. See, sadly, some of us, even as believers, we choose to go the way of Achan, and we hold out as long as we can without realizing that the consequences of sin go far beyond ourselves. And then, then we get upset when the consequences come. Or we say God's unjust. Or, or we get angry when God feels far from us in our lives, yet we have all this unconfessed sin. So when we feel far from God, believers, let's remember that God doesn't wander from us. We wander from him. Right? The, the shepherd never abandons the sheep. The sheep foolishly leave the shepherd. Yet what we find with God is that our good shepherd comes after us, calling out to us, just waiting for us to draw near to him again, even when we've wandered from him. I love the truth that scripture tells us in James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And in the same breath, James says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. When we sin, we need to fall on our knees before God in repentance. We need to draw near to him through prayer, through scripture, through worship. And then we need to live for him. But you see, the longer we hold out, the longer we hold on to those sins, the worse those consequences become. Achan had this opportunity to come forward, this time to examine himself. He chose not to come forward. Look at verse 16. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was chosen. The clans of Judah came forward, and the Zerahites were chosen. And the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was chosen. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was chosen. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. Tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw on the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. 
they're hidden in the ground inside my tent, and the silver is underneath. Awaken. And the battle at Jericho was won. All he had to do was follow the Lord's commands. And there were going to be more battles to come. There would be more blessings from God for all his people. But Achan was impatient. And how often, believers, do we become impatient with the Lord? And because of that impatience, we choose sin. You know, his blessings seem far off. His will seems difficult. And so we grab on to the temporary satisfaction of sin instead of the lasting joy of God's promises. Achan looked and he saw all these earthly treasures. And maybe he thought to himself that God was holding out on him. Maybe Achan thought to himself, you know, God isn't treating me right, so I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to take this stuff. See, to Achan, these little treasures, they were better than the promises of God. They were, they were better than the timing of God's blessings. And they were better than obedience to God. And in his selfishness and greed, he coveted them, he stole them, he hid them and lied about them, and he cost the lives of others. 36 people died, and he knew he was the reason, but he held out. He held out. There comes a time when we become so invested in our sin, we're willing to go down with the ship rather than fall down in repentance before the Lord. That was Achan. You can practically imagine him there that day, sweat dripping off his forehead as the tribes are called out. And then his clan is called out. And his family, he knows it's coming down to him. But he waited till the very last second. It was only then, when there was nowhere left to go, when every eye was on him, that he admitted it. You see, that's how we know that Achan was sorry, but he was only sorry that he got caught. This wasn't true, genuine repentance. Now, this is what we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, which says this. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Which of those sounds like it describes Achan? Achan was a heartbroken over his sin. He lost sight of God's goodness to bless, so he took the devoted things. He lost sight of God's mercy to forgive, so he hid in his sin. So the whole nation was affected, and it wasn't only the nation who was affected. Let's keep going a little bit further. Verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in this tent with the silver underneath. And they took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys and sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. This is probably the hardest part of the passage that we have now come to. 
Christians, let's understand something, though. Let's understand that our sin often hurts those closest to us. Achan's sin didn't just affect the assembly of God's people, it affected his family. They died with him. I think it's important for us to know this. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, God commanded that children should not be put to death for the sins of their parents, nor should parents be put to death for the sins of their children. So there's good reason for us to conclude that Achan's family had become complicit in his sin to some degree. Perhaps by attempting to help conceal the matter from everyone else. Again, sin spreads. See, Achan didn't just make them a part of his wrongdoing. Now they were going to share in the consequence for his wrongdoing. Achan didn't just bring down that nation. He brought his family down too. Even so, I understand that for many of us reading the text, it's, it's, it's the nature of the punishment that is hard to swallow. Because for some of us, it seems harsh. But the real problem, the real problem is not the severity of the punishment, but our understanding of the severity of sin. You see, we tend to think very lightly of sin. I think if we were all honest, we would admit that deep down we feel like punishment for sin should be reserved for just a select few who we would deem to be the really worst ones we fail to realize many times that all sin is a capital offense against the holy God, which means that all sin is deserving of death. That means that it's only by God's grace that any of us are still here today. That it's only by His mercy that we can find the forgiveness for our wrongdoings in this life. Achan didn't find that mercy and grace because he didn't even seek it out. And what we need to do, what we need to learn from his actions, we need to learn the severity of sin. We need to understand how it affects others and how we should respond. Sometimes we think that, well, if no one's hurt by our sin, it really doesn't matter. But the longer that sin remains, it's going to affect those around. It's going to affect our family. It's going to affect the family of God. And we're storing up consequences for ourselves. Like Achan, we may feel that temptation to conceal our sin to take it to our grave, to keep on keeping on and hope nobody finds out. But we need to recognize that our sin has consequences for ourselves, for the body of believers, for those closest to us. So we need to take sin seriously, church, because God does. God takes sin very seriously. Thankfully, thankfully, His forgiveness is available to us. And we should praise Him for that because we know we're all imperfect. We're all going to sin. But His forgiveness is available. Believers, 1 John 1, 9 is a precious verse. If you haven't memorized it, go home and memorize it. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So believers, the real question is, when we sin, why would we run from God? Why would we do that? We need to take sin seriously in our lives, church. Sin affects our relationship with God. We'll feel that distance as we ignore Him and chase after sin. And when we hold on to sin, it affects those closest to us. So we need to get that excuse out of our lives that if no one knows, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's one of the chief tools of the devil that we buy into to dive headfirst into sin. So we need to get that excuse out of our lives. And we need to remember that our sin is never hidden from God. 
And sin and its consequences will always have a way of hurting those around us. So believers, when God does reveal to you, maybe for some of us it's today, but when God does reveal to you in your life that there is unconfessed sin in your life, remember this. Remember that it is far better to fall before the Lord for forgiveness than to hold on to sin and its false promises. Remember that. It is far better to fall before the Lord for forgiveness than to hold on to sin and its false promises, like the promise that if no one finds out, it doesn't matter. That's a false promise. So First Baptist Church of Oxford, let's not be found living in persistent sin. Now, instead, let's be found living in God's grace and the strength that he provides for us. Let's be a church that welcomes sinners into these doors so that we could point them to the only one who can forgive them of their sins and save their soul. And let's recognize that we're going to be a church made up of imperfect people. But by God's grace, we should be there to help one another when we stumble, when we fall, so we can pick each other up and strive to live righteously together. Let's be that church, First Baptist Church of Oxford. But maybe you're here and you've never confessed your sins to God. You've never received that forgiveness that he offers. And if that's true for you, understand that all of us have a similarity with Achan. It's that we have sinned against God. We have broken his commands. See, the problem for Achan was that he held on to his sin. He didn't go to God for forgiveness. never went to God for mercy. And so he faced the just punishment for his sin. And friend, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that all of us have sinned against God. And because of that sin, we're separated from God. And when this life ends, if that sin hasn't been taken care of, we're going to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. It's a just punishment for sin. Now, that bad news gets worse because the Bible says we can't make up for sin on our own. Going to church won't do it. Our good works won't do it. There's no cosmic scale, and we have to try and weigh it out with good works. No, we can't get to God on our own. So in his great love for us, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. And Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to take the punishment that we deserve, the penalty that our sins deserve. After he was buried, Jesus rose from the dead three days later, proving that he is the son of God. He's no mere man. And the Bible says that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Understand that the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you put your faith in him as your Savior, you'll receive the forgiveness of all your sins. You'll be pardoned from that penalty of hell. You'll step into a relationship with God. You'll become a part of his family. And friend, you'll receive eternal life. But the question for you today is, are you willing to give your life to Jesus? If you do want to do that, we want to give you the opportunity to right now. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's true for you, if, if you know Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, please understand that you, you can find me after the service. You can find Pastor Richard, Pastor Brandon. You can come up and talk with me during this final invitation song. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus Christ, you can do it wherever you're sitting. You can go to Jesus Christ and admit that you know you're a sinner but that you know he died on the cross for you. Do you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead? Give him your life. Ask him to be your savior. And friend, I promise you on the authority of God's word, he will save you. He'll forgive you. And you will always be his. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, we know that we're imperfect. We're still going to make mistakes. We're going to sin against you. But I pray that you would help us 
so that we wouldn't choose to stay in those sins. Help us to fight against that temptation to hide our sin, to bury it, to take it to our grave. Open our eyes. Help us to faithfully be a people that when we fall into sin, we would confess it to you. And we would get right back up and start living for you again. Help us to be a church that would graciously come alongside one another. When we see a brother or sister fall into sin, we would help restore them to you. And we would keep on walking in a way that pleases you. Father, we pray that you would bring people into this church that don't know you, that have never received that forgiveness, and help us to be a church that would faithfully tell them, you want to forgive them. You want to bring them into your family. We pray that in all these things you'd be glorified. Father, I thank you for the tough story of Achan. Because there might have been some tough truths in there, but we needed to see them. And I pray that you would help all of us apply them to our lives. Father, we love you. But your constant forgives us, reminds us that you love us so much more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.